For so long, uh, personally, I was an absent parent. Um, I didn't grow up in the church, and uh, I grew up in a, a decent home not far from here in Catoosa, but in the household I grew up in, I was a middle child of five, and my parents, um, they, they worked hard to kind of carve out a living for us. And so the things that were presented as priority in our household were not the things of God. Quite honestly, it wasn't even significant family time. It was just making sure that all five of us were fed. So my parents worked hard. Um, and that was a value that was presented to us as something um, to strive for above all else. Um, and quite honestly, as I became an adult, I thought that that was kind of like the epitome of my value. You know, if I worked um, 50, 60, 70 hours a week, um, then, then I was a good parent. 80, 90 hours a week, man, I'm a, I'm a stellar parent. Well, the downside to that is it didn't leave a whole lot of time for my children. And so um, as I was a young man, single dad, um, I, I often found myself disengaged from my kids' lives. Um, and I had a noble cause, right? I wanted to provide for them. Um, I wanted to make an investment in their lives. Um, they had the things that they need. Um, and uh, they, they were well-fed, all of that. But they were, they were missing me. Um, and, and they were missing the investment that I should be making on their lives. Well, something happened. Um, as time went on, I found myself kind of in a rock bottom moment, not financially, but, but spiritually. I was empty inside. Um, I, I, I was missing things and I you know, recognized that I was missing things. And I, I set myself out on a quest to discover what those were. And those things led to, to the church, not, not necessarily this church, but the church, right? The, the body of Christ. And, and in that pursuit, in that pursuit, I began to, to find um, what was valuable. Um, and, and all the money that I could accumulate in life didn't really have value. And, and I began to notice and to recognize that these things weren't valuable to my children. That if I were to sit my kids down and ask them, what, what can I do for you? Um, my kids had really arrived at a place where it was just, just be present, just spend time with me. And so I began to think about what I was leaving my kids. You know, is, am, I, am I going to leave them a business? I was striving to build um, one at the time and, and I thought that was valuable. Am I going to leave them paid off property? You know, maybe I can leave them one of those uh, elusive trusts where I just, I set them up and, and that would be great. Or am I going to leave them something again of greater value and greater significance? It was one of those begin with the end in mind. I, I began to think about really what am I going to be remembered for? I didn't want to be remembered as a workaholic. I didn't want to be remembered as, as somebody who wasn't there. I wanted to be remembered for something that, that lasted, that stood the test of time. So I have a question. Do you ever consider what you're leaving your children, what you're leaving your grandchildren, what you're leaving the next generation? Do you ever consider the mark that you're leaving on this world? That one day as you're, you're no longer here, no longer present, if you could sit in on those conversations, what would those conversations reveal about you? Who would they say that you were? What would they determine was most important to you? Matthew 6, 19 through 21, Jesus said this, don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroy them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. We put such an emphasis on God's creation that I think we inadvertently show the next generation that, that God is second or God is third or God is fourth or God is just something to be indifferent to. 
I'm not saying there's anything wrong with um, being well off or, or, or wealthy or, or having things. Um, no, I, I think it's great. I, if God's blessed you in such a way, what a beautiful blessing. But I think we have to begin to put emphasis in the right place, that we have to begin to shift our priorities if we're gonna show our children what, what matters, what's valuable, what's important. So what are you leaving the next generation? How are you leaving your mark? I have some pictures I wanna show. If we get that first picture up here uh, for everybody to see. Um, and so this is uh, hopefully some of my children. Um, we'll see eventually, maybe get a picture up there. There we go. Um, <laughs> and so this is, uh, this is some of my kids. You can see there's four of them. I have, uh, I have six kids for those of you who didn't know. So pray for me, pray for my wife. Um, but... <clears throat> I love these pictures. These are some of my treasure, most treasured moments um, in, in my family and my kids' lives. Um, as you can see, it's, it's their baptisms. This is my four youngest. All six of my kids have been baptized. And um, the beautiful thing about it is their faith is their faith. Uh, my wife and I didn't ask them. We didn't force them. They, they arrived at that conclusion on their own that that was something they wanted to pursue. And, and eventually they would come to us after seeing the way that we lived, hearing the things that we talked about, being present in where we were present. They said, mom, dad, can, can I ask Jesus into my life? Can I ask Jesus into my heart? Dad, can I get baptized? We, we allowed them to arrive at that conclusion. And this picture in the middle, um, it's, it's my favorite. And not because he's my favorite, but because he was the youngest of six, the last of my six children to give his life to the Lord and to be baptized here. And, and what's beautiful is I had the opportunity and the privilege to baptize all of my children, just to, to be a part of that moment in such a significant way. Thank you. <clears throat> and then uh, let's bring up that next picture here. Um, this is my two oldest kids. And uh, unfortunately... Unfortunately, we lost the baptism pictures, and or I say we, my wife lost them. All the men know, all the men know that it's it's her responsibility to keep up with those things, and so I don't know what she's done with them. Um, but but they were baptized. Obviously, they were they were the oldest, uh, kind of more mature in faith and time, and so they were the first to give their lives to the Lord. And and so um, I love this picture. Um, I have my daughter, who I, I love immensely, um, there on the outside. And and the beautiful thing is that she's she's serving right, that, that she's present on the platform. She had an encounter with God and she knows that the next step in her faith is to begin giving back. At 15 years old, week after week, she stands on the platform at students and, and she knows that this is her moment for ministry to invest in the next generation. How does she know? She's been shown. Who showed her? Me, my wife. Many of you. And I love the, the picture there in the middle of my son. Um, it's my oldest son. He's not just a bum. I know he's 15. And, um, but the, the beautiful thing about that is a few weeks ago, we had student camp. And so he went with the students and, and he was ministered to, right? And he had a great time. And, and that's, that's, that's wonderful. But that's not what that picture's from. That picture's from the following week where he went to kids camp and he hung out with kids that were some half his age and he loved on them. He shared Jesus with them. He invested with them. He served. And this is him after spending several days with kids. I have no doubt got on his last nerve. And, and he's exhausted and he's drained and he's given it his all. And there's other places he could have been. There's other things he could have done. But he had an awareness 
that it's important that we invest in the next generation, even at such a young age. And so I ask you, what are you leaving your children? What, what, are you, what mark are you leaving those where you work, those in the community? What are you doing here at Cedar Point to, to, to reveal and to share what's of value in your life? And again, I, I love my kids. And I love the fact that, that through our example, they know what it means to love the Lord. That, that they, there's never a question about whether we're coming to church there's never a question about whether we should serve. There's never a question about what I hold to be most valuable in my life. And I know that as I, as I leave this place one day, my kids will know that, that next to them and their mother, the thing that, that was more valuable than, than anything in my life was Jesus. That they'll know that that was my number one and so again, what are you leaving the next generation? Today, if you're not abundantly aware, we're, we're continuing our next generation series. And, and I, I do love, I'm so, I feel so blessed to be a part of a church that this isn't lost on, that the value of investing in our kids doesn't come second, that it doesn't come third, that great emphasis is put on reaching those that are vulnerable. And quite honestly, I'm, I'm blessed to be a part of a church that because of this mindset, it's, it's impacted me and, and my family. I didn't share this story in the first service, but the thing that, that brought me to Cedar Point originally um, was my kids. I wasn't raised in the church. I wasn't a man of faith. Um, when I came here, I wouldn't even really consider myself to be a Christian, but I encountered a place that loved my children. And because they loved my children, I experienced the love of God. And today, because of our children's ministry, not only am I saved and my life different, but all of my kids' lives are different. My sister shows up, my brother-in-law, my nephew shows up. Friends that, that I knew from my old life are present here because of kids' ministry. <clears throat> so I wanna talk about building a legacy. We, we can leave all sorts of material things to our kids, but the truth of the matter is they fade away. There's only one thing that we can take with us, and it's people. There's only one legacy that will last for eternity, and it's those that we reach. It's those that we, we touch. It's those that we reveal the love of Jesus to. And so I want to talk about building a legacy. Each of us, each of us here are leaving something behind. We're making some type of mark, some type of impact, whether you want to or not. So how important is it to be intentional about what you're leaving behind? As we open this morning, I want us to open to Psalm 78. It's not on your notes. I guess there was some confusion last service. Um, I'm not Pastor Rick, and so I do things a little differently. Um, there's, there's other things. There are still three points because, you know, we want to be um, cohesive somehow. But Psalm 78, um, I want to share with you. 78, starting in verse 1, this is a psalm of Asap. Asap was a, a singer and musician and King David in Solomon's time. This is a historical psalm. You know, psalms are meant to kind of have music and it's a worship um, type of, of message with him, but um, this one's uh, historical in nature too, and it gives an account of the nation of Israel and their, their disobedience, um, as well as some other things. And so um, starting in verse one, it says this, oh my people, listen to my instructions, open 
your ears to what I'm saying. For I will speak to you in a parable. I will teach you hidden lessons from your past. Stories we have heard and known. Stories our ancestors handed down to us. And so he's saying, I will teach you these things. Things that you've heard. He goes on in verse four. He says, we will not hide these truths from our children. We will tell the next generation. Say next generation. We will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his power and his mighty wonders. You see, the thing is, Israel encountered God. They forgot how good God was. And then they got off track and they began to give themselves over to the desires of their flesh and over to sin. And, and, and then time would go on and they would be handed over to their destruction and then somebody would come along and be like, oh, you guys remember God? God's good, right? Wasn't he? And then they would get back on track. And then they would get disinterested, lose track, and they would do it over again and over again. And so that's what's taking place here. Why? Because people didn't keep it in front of them. They, they failed to hand it down to generation, to generation, to generation. And it's what we see taking place today. Right, because we fail to communicate adequately the love of God. Our, our children, our grandchildren, those who are, are vulnerable fail to see how great God is. So he's saying here, we will tell the next generation about the glorious deeds of the Lord and about his mighty wonders. For he issued his laws to Jacob. He gave his instructions to Israel. He commanded our ancestors to teach them to their children so the next generation might know them, even the children not yet born. And they, in turn, will teach their their own children. So each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then, say then, then they will not be like their ancestors, stubborn, rebellious, and unfaithful, refusing to give their hearts to God. Again, I wasn't raised in the church. This is not my story um, until, until recently. And I know this, more than anything, I, I want my kids to be different than I was I want my kids to be better than me. And I think that's something we all share, right? It's why we work so hard to make those investments in in finances and and to teaching these things. But the thing of true value, the greatest gift that I can give my children is a love for the Lord. And if I fail to do that, then my kids are more likely to fall into the same traps that I fell into. The same delusions, the same deceit. But he says here, So each generation, we tell these things so each generation should set its hope anew on God, not forgetting his glorious miracles and obeying his commands. Then they will not be like their ancestors. It's up to us to share. It's up to us to leave our legacy to them, our our legacy of faith, of love, our legacy of Jesus. You know, when we talk about sharing the, the gospel and, and growing the church, I mean, we always, we always go to that point in Acts, right? Um, and it's, it's reaching every nation. Every nation should um, baptize him in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, right? And, and when we see that, I get that, right? That's a command from God. Go and tell every nation, every tongue. But it's not just every nation that should be reached. It's every generation. Every nation, every generation 
our kids, our grandkids, our great-grandkids, everyone we come across, and we lose sight of that. I want to share with you a passage out of Deuteronomy that gives a little more insight. Deuteronomy 6, 4 through 9, it says, Listen, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord alone. And you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, all your strength. And you must commit yourselves wholeheartedly to these commands that I'm giving you. Repeat them again and again to your children. Talk about them when you're at home and when you're on the road when you're going to bed, when you're getting up, tie them to your hand and wear them on your forehead as reminders. Write them on the doorpost of your house and on your gates. And so as you guys leave today, um, we're gonna have a story changer at the back door. They're gonna hand out cans of spray paint um, and we're just gonna go around the community uh, making sure this... <laughs> now, so when, when we're talking about this, it's not, it's not, it's not literal, but, but when we read that, it's the things that you engage in matter. That if you're going to share the things with God, it has to be a part of your daily life. Tie them to your finger. Write them on the doorpost. Tell them again and again and again the goodness of God. My kids, my kids know my faith because I've shared why I have faith. I've shared how God (laughs) lifted me up out of the depths of addiction, the way that he's moved in my life. My kids don't question my faith because they know how God's moved. It's no secret. And I tell them again and again and again until they're probably thinking, oh, dad, will you shut up? No. What are you sharing with your children? What are you telling them again and again? Talking about how much you hate this administration or how much you hated the last and you tell them again and again and again. And that's the legacy you leave talk about finances, how broke you are, how much money you have. Well, that's the legacy you leave. That's, what, that's what's important. That's what they see. That's what they'll leave your household valuing. It's the things that you talk about. It's the things that you share. It's the things that you present. It's what you keep in front of them that leaves the legacy. And you're leaving one, whether you like it or not. So are you sharing the goodness of God you're telling them how great you are? Are you sharing the goodness of God? Are you showing them how much you indulge in the world? Tell them again and again and again. What are you doing to pass along your faith, to share the history of the church and the goodness of God? I don't, I don't typically read things verbatim um, and uh, my wife would probably prefer that I do a lot. I say a lot of things I shouldn't say. Um, and so, but I've, I wrote this paragraph and I wanted, I wanted to share it. Um, it says this, we live in a culture of self-indulgence and in turn, we endeavor to leave a legacy of our own inflated sense of self-importance. We are teaching our kids that sacrifice should only take place if it elevates them. Time should only be given if it promotes their agenda and that the only things that matter are the ones that revolve around them. This is not sound doctrine. This is not the gospel. We must pivot in our personal lives and elevate the things of God above all else. Make sacrifices at our expense for the sake of the church and the message of Jesus. We must leave our children a legacy of love, truth, and justice. A legacy focused on spreading God's word above all else. We reveal to our kids what we value most 
by where we spend our time and where we spend our money. And if you think for a second that 68 minutes a week is gonna teach them to follow in your footsteps towards the cross, you're mistaken. If you spend more time investing in self, that's what your kids will do. If you spend more time pursuing money, that's what your kids will do. Our kids right now are learning what to value. Those who are vulnerable, who don't know any better, they're taking cues from us day in and day out. And we've put the responsibility of morality on preschool, on kids, workers, and saying, teach my kid to love Jesus in one hour a week. If we don't tell our kids, we, if we don't tell our kids, somebody else will. We see it. They leave here. They go to school. Somebody presents something as truth. My kids all the time come up. Dad, did you know? They tell me some story. I'm like, that's a lie. Are you sure? Johnny said, hey, listen, Johnny's an idiot, son. Like, <laughs> don't, don't be hanging out with him anymore. This. But here's the sad part. Oftentimes, our kids have more conversations with little Johnny than they do with us. I mean, hours a day, Monday through Friday, and we have a 30-minute conversation before dinner. Pick up your room, do your chores, stop picking on your sister. Where's the influence come from? If we don't tell our children, somebody else will. If we don't show our children how to live, the world will. The world will show them what to value. The world will show them what to pursue. There's no shortage of voices out there vying for our young, drawing them away from God. And we think our insignificant investments we make will somehow save them. If we've reconciled in our mind that, that there's a God, right? A creator God that loves us and there's an eternity that, that, that weighing in the balance is heaven and hell. Why are we so indifferent? Somebody's going to tell them. It should be you. It should be us. Being the voice in their life, the voice of reason, the voice of truth, where we show them by our actions and our sacrifices what matters. This morning, as we get into the, the message, that was just my intro. Um, <laughs> so we get into the message. I, I want you to turn um, to 1 John chapter 3. That's towards the end of your New Testament. Uh, 1 John was written by the Apostle John, right? This is the one that's referred to as the uh, Apostle whom Jesus loved. 1 John chapter 3. I also want to let you know we have message notes on the YouVersion Bible app. And, so, and if you don't have a Bible, we would love to give you one after service. We're going to have a story changer at the back door. If you want a physical Bible, we'll gift that to you. Um, so um, 1 John chapter 3, starting in verse 11, it says this. This is the message you have heard from the beginning. We should love one another. And so John, um, he, he became the, the apostle of love. And he kept this command that Jesus gave, um, love one another in front of people. And he's saying, we've heard this from the beginning, love one another. He says, we must not be like Cain. So he begins to look at what does this mean? We must not be like Cain who belonged to the evil one and killed his brother. And why did he kill him? Because Cain had been doing what was evil and his brother had been doing what was righteous. So don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, if the world hates you. I want you to put that in your pocket, right? 
Don't be surprised if the world hates you. Here's the thing. We think that everyone in the world should love us. And if you're walking out your faith and you're never coming to those moments of uncomfortableness, and if you're never, <laughs> never collided with somebody who despises you because you love the things of God, you need to begin to question where you're at. He says, don't be surprised, dear brothers and sisters, that the world hates you. And he goes on in verse 16. He says, we know what real love is because Jesus gave up his life for us. We know. So he's saying, we've heard it from the beginning that we must love one another. And then he jumps down here and we know what real love is because Jesus gave us his example by laying down his life. So, say so. So we ought to give up our lives for our brothers and sisters. This is real love. Jesus showed us because of that, we ought to do the same. Now, I'm not saying that we all need to be crucified. No, but, but there's a picture that Jesus has given us of sacrifice. And point number one is this, building a legacy requires that we make sacrifices. Building a legacy, one of value, requires that we make sacrifices. If you wanna build a financial legacy for your kids, you know it's gonna be a sacrifice, right? We, we know that, day in, day out, nose to the grindstone, that if we wanna leave our kids any type of money, it's gonna be hard work. Why would faith be any different? That if we wanna leave a legacy of the things of God, if we wanna reach the next generation after we've gone, it requires sacrifice, and we get a picture of it through Jesus of laying down our lives for one another. What does that mean? It may mean that you show up here more than 68 minutes a week. Is that fair? Maybe. Maybe laying down your life just means that, that you stay one extra service and you spend a little extra time in one of our kids' classrooms, sharing with those who are vulnerable, sharing with those who may not hear, making an investment. It's not quite the sacrifice that Jesus made, but for some of us, it might as well be, right? Just the thought. Whew. Well, Pastor Aaron, I don't know if you know how busy I am. I don't. You don't know what I have going on? I don't. But I know this. Real love requires that we lay something down. It's more than words. It's action. It's sacrifice. And if we want to impact the next generation, it's going to require sacrifice. Maybe it's going to require that you show up and, and serve at an event. Invest in our, our young. Stop being a consumer and see what you can give back. Give back your time. Building a legacy requires that we make sacrifices. He goes on in verse 17. He says, if someone has enough money to live well and sees a brother and sister in need but shows no compassion, how can God's love be in that person? Dear children, let us not merely say we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Building a legacy requires sacrifice. Jesus said this in the gospel, John. This is my commandment. Love each other in the same way I've loved you. There is no greater love than to lay down one's life for one's friends. We see a generation in need. I've never seen a generation more confused, more broken. And I, I know I'm young, but I've talked to people much older and much wiser than me, and they think the same thing. I know you see it. So lost, 
so far from the things of God, so hungry for truth, so hungry for love, so hungry for investment, and we say that we value them, and we give none of our time, none of our attention. We hold tightly to our resources, but, but what if we could reach just one more? Right? Add one more to the flock. One more. I'm just reminded again of, of my son because he was impacted in such a way. The seed that was planted in his life, how many people have been impacted because this church, because some of you loved on my son, invested in his faith, showed him the love of Jesus, where countless others are impacted because somebody decided, I'm gonna build a legacy that matters. I'm gonna make an investment that lasts. And they knew, as I hope you know, building that legacy requires that we make sacrifice. Let's turn to Philippians chapter three as we look at point number two. Philippians was a letter uh, written by the apostle Paul to the church of Philippi. And so in the beginning of chapter three, Paul does something. He begins to lay out his pedigree. He's like, you know, I was a Hebrew if there was ever a Hebrew, you know, um, and in all of these things, a Pharisee among Pharisees. And he says, this is how great I was. And then he segues into this transition where he's basically saying, this is nothing in comparison and to the priceless value of knowing Christ. And I love that because so many of us, we, we put our position as the number one thing, right? That, that how often do we come up to somebody and be like, I'm Aaron, what do you do? I love Jesus. You know, no, that's weird. We don't do that, right? We say, well, th this is what I do, right? That we, we, we lead with our job, our position, our title. But here Paul's saying, I was all of these things. In Paul's culture, he was elevated. He had status. People would have known him. People would have respected him. And he says, none of this matters in comparison to the priceless value of knowing Jesus. And then in Philippians 3, verse 12, he says this, I don't mean to say that I've already achieved these things. He's saying, hey, listen, I'm not, I know I'm not great and I'm not perfect. He says, but I press on to possess that perfection for which Christ Jesus first possessed me. No, dear brothers and sisters, I have not achieved it, but I focus on this one thing, forgetting the past and looking forward to what lies ahead. I press on to reach the end of the race and receive the heavenly prize for which God through Christ Jesus is calling us. Let all who are spiritually mature agree on these things. If you disagree on some point, I believe God will make it plain to you, but we must hold on to the progress we've already made. Dear brothers and sisters, pattern your lives after mine and learn from those who follow our example. And so when building a legacy, we have to establish the culture. We establish the culture. Anybody in here, your parents used to tell you, um, do as I say, not as I do, right? How ridiculous is that? Um, how many of you have said that to your kids? Yeah, there we go, some honest people, me too. Um, how many times do your kids do what you say and not as you do? Like never, and we know that. We know that, right? We know that they don't really care what we say at all. Um, they're little demonic creatures running around, just burning things down, and, and they could care less what we do. Now, if we give them an excuse to do the wrong thing because we did the wrong thing, 
they're on that, right? Like they, they bite, hold on to that. Well, why did you do that? You did it. Like that's just like the, the golden out, right? Um, unless you did something really great. If you do great things, it kind of seems like they're kind of on the fence there. Um, but, but our kids, they learn by our example. They really do. Um, you know, going back to the beginning, I showed you some pictures of my kids. Um, my, my kids' faith does not come from me hammering scripture down their throat. Um, quite honestly, I feel like I do a poor job of that. It doesn't always come from the best influences, um, you know, culturally. My kids are overly guarded. Um, I struggle in that. I need to do better. But my kids' faith comes from the fact that they see me walk it out. They know when I have a hard time, I turn to Jesus. They, they see me pray. They see me serve, right? They, they see that this is important. And, and so they don't, they don't do as I say. They, they do as I do. And because they do as I do, my, my kids have come to the Lord in the way that they have. They serve in the way that they have. Um, and so we, we got to realize that we have to establish the culture, that, that you set the tone, not your kids. Um, I said this in first service, and, and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say it again. Um, can, can I step on some toes here? Um, I hope so. I'm going to do it anyways. Uh, when I first came to the church as an employee and got hired on, I worked in our, our children's ministry. Before adult ministry, I was a part of, of serving over there with our, our first through fifth graders. And I would have parents come and they would have their kids and their kids wouldn't want to come into service. And, and again, I hope I don't offend you, but I kind of do. Um, I'd be, oh, well, is little Jimmy going to come in here today? No, little Jimmy doesn't want to. I said, okay, so what's little Jimmy doing? He's going to sit out in the hall or, you know, he's just going to color in service. Like, I don't know if you guys know this, but we're making a significant investment in children's ministry here. We create an environment for your children where they learn and grow in a way better than this. And, and you allow your kids to set the tone when you decide, like, they get to decide where they go. People, well, we didn't go to church because little Susan didn't want to. Who the heck is Susan? Like, I thought you were mom. I thought you were dad. And if it came to anything else, if it came to anything else, you don't allow your child to dictate what takes place. But, but when it comes to the things of God, the things that have eternal consequences, you're going to let a seven-year-old dictate the direction of your family and what's important. You're going to let the seven-year-old dictate the direction of their life. I don't let my kids decide what they're going to eat for dinner. My oldest daughter, she's 15. You guys pray for her. She doesn't like bacon. And I keep telling her, listen, honey, you're never going to find a husband here in Oklahoma if you don't eat bacon. So about once a week, I, I make a big breakfast. And this, this is the South. It's eggs, it's sausage, and bacon. bacon. You know what my daughter eats? Bacon. I don't care what she wants to eat. I love her too much to let her go without bacon in her life. <clears throat> And if I love her that much, if I love her so much, I'm not going to let her decide her dietary concerns. Why would I let her decide whether or not she's coming to church or sitting in kids' church or making an investment here? I set the tone. I'm dad. She's not. You're the parent. You're the grandparent. You're the leader in the community. You're, maybe you're the children's worker. Maybe you're the voice of reason at your job where you work with snot-nosed teenagers. Maybe you're the teacher in the elementary school. Maybe you're just the person in the neighborhood that all the kids see and kind of like. 
You set the tone. You show them what's important. They learn by watching you do what you do. Make sure what you do is something of substance and something of value. Again, point number two is we establish the culture. He continues in verse 18. He says, for I've told you often before, and I say it again with tears in my eyes, there are many whose conduct shows they are really enemies of the cross of Christ. They are headed for destruction. Their God is their appetite. They brag about shameful things, and they think only about this life here on earth. But we are citizens of heaven where the Lord Jesus Christ lives, and we are eagerly awaiting him to return as our savior. Establish the culture. Let's turn to 1 Kings chapter two as we begin to close. Uh, 1 Kings is in the Old Testament. We've been in the New Testament. Um, and here, uh, we're gonna see um, David, King David at the end of his life. And so he's getting ready um, to, to transition out of authority and in life um, and pass the baton, the reins over to his son, Solomon, who's gonna take charge. And so in 1 Kings chapter two, verse one, it says, as the time of King David's death approached, he gave this charge to his son. So this is a pass the baton kind of moment. Moment. And so um, I've got kids, they, they run track, and I've got my, uh, one of my sons, he does relay races. Um, and it's, it's, you know, ridiculous thing. They're, they're passing a stick around a track, right? Simple enough. Um, but, but here's the thing that, that I became abundantly aware of. That, that moment of transition that seems simple, right? A toddler can hand me a stick. They practice that over and over and over because you don't want to drop the ball, right? This, this is it. This is, this is your one chance to, to hand off what's of value. And in this race, it's that stick. And so they jog around at a slow pace, handing the stick back and forth, up and down, up and down, up and down. Why? Because they don't want to miss it. They don't want to miss it. It's important. It's valuable. And so here David, he's in that moment. He, he's, he's passing it on. He's passing it on. And he continues in verse 2. He says, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. I want to remind you that, that there's going to be a point where you lose influence in your children's lives. There's gonna be a point where you lose influence in your grandchildren's lives, where you lose influence in this community, right? It's the pass the baton kind of moment. What are you passing? What's the conversation gonna be when you leave? What's taking place? He's saying, I'm going where everyone on earth must someday go. And he says, take courage and be a man. I love that. I love that. I mean, that's what I tell my kids all the time. Stop crying, be a man. And then my daughter's like, but I'm not. Just be quiet, sweetie. Take courage, be a man. Observe the requirements of the Lord your God and follow all his ways. Keep the decrees, commands, regulations, and laws written in the law of Moses so that you will be successful in all you do and wherever you go. David was a man after God's own heart because God was at the center of David's heart, his thoughts, right? It's where his time was um, spent. It was the thing that he pursued. And in this charge, I don't think Solomon was like, why is my dad talking about God? I mean, he never talks about God. No, it was no surprise. David had been preparing him his whole life. David had been a man after God's own heart. He'd lived in such a way that here at this moment, where his voice was going to fade in his life, his legacy wasn't because Solomon knew his dad. And because Solomon knew his dad, he knew what his dad valued and what his dad found was important. And so when David says, obey God and pursue him, that resonated with him. It didn't catch him off guard. It would have been a, of course, 
Why would I do anything else, dad? I've seen the way you've lived. You've made this investment. This isn't lost on me. And so when building a legacy, we have to remember we must prepare our kids to take our place. We must prepare the next generation. As we fade from this world, what will our kids carry on? What will your children's children carry on? What will those that are most vulnerable in our community carry on? We have to prepare them to lead. We have to show them what's important. We have to make those sacrifices. We have to set the tone and establish the culture. We have to raise them up the way they should go. Proverbs 22.6, direct your children onto the right path. And when they are older, they will not leave it. Legacy building begins with you. What are you doing to establish a legacy of love, of truth, of justice? What are you doing to establish a legacy that's one of loving God, loving God's people, serving our community, being good? Are you ready to do what's necessary? I want us to do this. Um, Right where you're at, I want you to bow your heads, close your eyes, and I want you to begin to think about the investment that you make on our most vulnerable, the next generation, the things that you reveal to them through your, through your actions, where you spend your time, where you spend your money.